Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we understand this, and I've come to realize that there are some things in Christianity that become kind of so routine that they lose their significance. I think to some extent, baptism is one of those things. You know, Jesus gave two ordinances to his followers when he walked this earth, communion and baptism. And communion, uh, we gather together. It's on a regular basis, more than baptism is. And specifically here at Calvary Chapel, I know Pastor Joe gives us great context uh, and understanding whenever we partake in communion together. So we kind of understand what the significance and the meaning behind communion is. Baptism is a different story. So I said before that Jesus gave two ordinances. So what's an ordinance? An ordinance is defined as an authoritative order, a decree. In terms of Christian practice, it's described as a prescribed religious rite, ritual, ceremony, sacrament, observance, or practice. So baptism can definitely fit into that category. It's both authoritative in its, in its order and, re, and it's also a religious ritual. But we want to be careful when it comes to religious rituals, don't we? That they don't become empty rituals. Hopefully after today, baptism will take on a greater significance than it previously had from the way you, you look at it. I know it did for me just preparing and studying about it. But along with becoming you know, the danger of becoming an empty ritual, we could also neglect and overlook certain things that the Lord has prescribed in His Word. And when that happens, we can miss the point of something. And it can lose its meaning and importance. And since Jesus gave us a command regarding baptism, we want to be clear on its meaning. And we should have a desire to be obedient as followers of Christ. He said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do we love the Lord? If we say we do, what's the evidence of that? What's the evidence of that we're a follower of Christ? Is the evidence of loving Jesus wrapped up in good works, uh, trying to prove that we love him? Well, the Bible tells us that sometimes even our good works fall short because our motives are not pure. So if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, really obedience is the evidence of that. It's the evidence that something has changed. It's the evidence that a conversion has occurred in your heart and that you truly love Jesus. So Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them. So he gave a command to the church to baptize. That's what has come to be called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. If you ever heard of that term, it comes from that verse. 
in Matthew 28. Making disciples is really the main function of the church. But baptizing is a command corporately for the entire body of Christ. And it's one of those things, it's kind of the means by which we fulfill the Great Commission. By baptizing, Jesus said, go out, make, make disciples, and baptize them. So obedience to God, it's really about obedience to Jesus. But it's multifaceted, especially in terms of baptism. I quoted 20, uh, Matthew 28.19 before, but 28.20 is just as important. Because Jesus goes on to say, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Peter wrote in Acts 2.38, well, it's written of Peter, repent, he said, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, just as the Bible instructs the church, or Jesus gave a command to the church to baptize, he also gives us a command individually to be baptized. Every believer to be obedient to the commandment that Jesus gave us. And this makes the command of God more personal, doesn't it? It's on an individual basis. You know, we see baptism ceremonies, but that's a corporate thing. Individually, what's going on in your heart? But notice also, as it says in many, many areas in the Bible, that baptism comes after repentance. Baptism comes after repentance. What is repent? It means to change direction. That happens when we finally decide to stop going our own way, to stop living this self-directed life, and to follow God and His plan and His purpose for our life. It's realizing that we've been wrong in the way that we've been going and the desire to turn and to follow Jesus. And it's an individual thing. I can't repent for you. You can't repent for me. So it's important that individually we see that there's a reason that Jesus went to the cross. It's because he needed to pay the penalty for sin. If there was no sin, if there was no reason to repent, then he wouldn't have had to die. And I find that re repentance is really the most important aspect of the gospel message from our point of view. Notice how it's the, one of the first words recorded from John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist in a minute, but he was the forerunner. He was the one who was proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. He was preparing the people for Jesus' arrival on the scene as the Savior of the world. And now if somebody tells you that the Savior is coming, you would want to know, what am I being saved from? You would have to understand that there's something that is in your heart that you need to be saved from. And that's sin. And so that's why John's first words were about repentance. Notice also, 
that Jesus, very early on in his ministry, speaks about repentance when he was preaching the gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, now after John, John the Baptist, we're talking about, was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance, a very important part from our point of view of what the gospel message is. It's also prominent in the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection. You know, after his death and burial and resurrection, the disciples needed to get instruction as to how they were going to carry on this message, how they were going to spread the gospel and build the church. And Jesus said to them in Luke 24, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then about John the Baptist. It says in Matthew 3, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him, John, in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John the Baptist, a little side note about him, because most of you, even if you are not familiar with the Bible, even if you're not churched, most people have heard of John the Baptist. Some might have misconceptions about who he is. It's not the same as John the Apostle. He's a different character. Um, His birth was actually announced. Uh, You could call it a miraculous birth to Elizabeth and Zacharias by an angel. It says in Luke 1.13, But the angel said to him, uh, Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Elizabeth is described in the Bible as a relative of Jesus' mother Mary. When the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was pregnant with Jesus, she also told her about Elizabeth. It says to Mary, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was, also, who was called barren. So Elizabeth was already at this time, well beyond childbearing age. So we know that this is a miraculous thing that the Lord did in Elizabeth. So she was older. Mary was probably a teenager. They were probably not first cousins, just because of the age difference, but they were related in some way. So John the Baptist and Jesus were related. Maybe cousins far removed, um, but nonetheless... John and Jesus, when they were both in their mother's wombs, look at John's response to the presence of Jesus Christ. In Luke 1, when they, when they got together, they were both pregnant, Elizabeth and Mary. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Just at the presence of the Savior, even before he was born, John the Baptist preached repentance and baptism. But John's baptism was a little different than what we practice today. Um, Its purpose was a little different. Its focus 
was a little different. It didn't signify conversion. John's baptism pointed to the need for repentance. It was a baptism of repentance. John would baptize anyone who came to him and realized that they were sinners. And then confession sort of became the natural outpouring of that practice. John's baptism said, basically, we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. Prepare to meet Him. And in order to prepare to meet Jesus, people would get baptized, realizing that they were sinners. This is why John protested when Jesus came to him to be baptized. If you remember this scene, Jesus was baptizing. In Matthew 3, it speaks about this in verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed him. So just like when the two were in their mother's wombs, when they gathered together, when John leaped in Elizabeth's womb at the presence of Jesus, here in this scene, John clearly acknowledges Jesus' superiority. He points out the irony that Jesus had nothing to repent of. This was a baptism of repentance, and yet Jesus still wanted to be baptized. Jesus was demonstrating submission and humility like he always did. You know, he was perfectly sinless, yet he came to John to be baptized. It clearly wasn't because Jesus had to repent, right? And John rightly pointed out the obvious He should be baptized by Jesus, not the other way around. Yet Jesus submitted himself to baptism. And as he had done his entire life, from his humble birth to his lowly upbringing to his death on the cross, his entire life was marked by obedience and submission to the Father. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2 where he identifies with sinful man. It was the only way his death would be sufficient to pay for our sins. It says in Philippians 2, 7 and 8, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. This is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He came in the likeness of men, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further and became obedient. This is the point. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That, those verses really show us the character of Jesus Christ. And one more quick thing about John. John was sort of, at this point now, handing over his, his, his role uh, in the ministry to Jesus. John had a large following. You could see there that people would come from all over to be baptized by John. So he had a long following, but at this point he had to acknowledge that 
Since Jesus came on the scene, people needed to start to follow Jesus. It was not about John. And I think about preachers, successful and uh, having a big congregation, stadiums filled, they have to always remember to point the people to Jesus. It's never, ever about them. Or else it becomes self-promoting. John was very clear. He says in John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. He must increase, but I must decrease. So let's talk about specifically what baptism is, what it isn't, and why it's important. First, what it is. Baptism, it's an outward sign of an inward change. In other words, it's the physical evidence of a spiritual conversion. One preacher gives this example. My wedding ring does not make me married. I could have gotten married without a ring. Or I could wear a ring but not be married. My marriage is based on the commitment which my wife and I made to each other. But my wedding ring is an appropriate symbol of an unseen truth that I am married to my wife. It tells people, I'm not available. I'm committed to my wife. Baptism is a public confession that says, World, I am no longer available. I am now committed to my bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the symbolism of it is. The person being baptized is making a tangible commitment most times before witnesses, that they've trusted in Jesus for their salvation. The decision to follow Christ is by far the most important decision any of us will ever make. We know that. We should know that. And we should want to tell others when we make that decision. We should want our friends, our family, our co-workers, etc., to know that we've taken this awesome step to restore our broken relationship with God by receiving Christ. Continuing the understanding that baptism is an outward expression of what's happened in someone's heart, we see that there's an order to it. Acts 2.41 says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. First, people gladly received the word. People gladly received the gospel message that uh, that that Peter preached and that others preached and continue to preach. Do you gladly receive the message? Remember, the good news is, the gospel is, that Christ has come to save you from your sins. But part of that is to recognize that you're a sinner in need of salvation. What baptism is, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of cleansing from sin. The cleansing of sin occurs when you receive Jesus Christ and His sacrifice as sufficient to cover and to take care of your sin. This is the forgiveness we receive when we believe in Jesus' atonement on the cross. And then we're continually cleansed under the teaching of the Word as we're conformed into the image of Jesus and sanctified by the preaching of the Gospel We're spiritually cleansed over and over. Ephesians 5 speaks about this. 
in regard to a husband and wife, but really in a larger context, what Christ has done for the church. He says, Paul writes here, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So the obvious symbolism here is a one of cleansing. But the spiritual application is one of being immersed in the Word of God. Are you immersed in the Word on a daily basis? Are you being cleansed on a daily basis through the Word? Sometimes you'll notice as you read the Bible that you'll start to sense the Holy Spirit's work in your heart, changing you. That work of sanctification, that work of cleansing. That's what the Word of God can do. And it's the process by which we're conformed into the image of Jesus. It's a daily thing. What baptism also is, it's a picture of our identification with Jesus Christ in His death and His resurrection. Romans 6 speaks about this in verses 3 through 6. Or do you not know that many, as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism unto death, just as Christ was, and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This is the symbolism of baptism as we identify with Jesus Christ in His death and in His resurrection. This is what the new life in Christ looks like. The old life is spiritually buried, just as Jesus was physically buried at His death. We identify with His death because when we come to faith in Christ, our sinful lifestyle, our habits, our behaviors should die also, identifying with His death. We go under the water in baptism to signify dying to the old self. But the other side of it is that we're also raised up as Jesus was resurrected. We're raised up in newness of life. You wouldn't want to stay under the water very long. You need to be raised up, identifying with His resurrection. In baptism, when we come out of the water, we're being identified with Jesus Christ in His resurrection, in newness of life. Now listen, we'll still sin. We will never be sinless. But as we grow in our relationship with Him, we should sin less and less. This is why obedience to Christ's commands are so important. It sets us on that path of obedience. It changes our focus from a self-directed life to one that yields and submits to Christ. Baptism symbolizes this. Baptism also is a connection. It's a connection to all other believers. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit 
we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. Did you see the unity there in that verse? Unity, one spirit, one body, and made to drink into one spirit. Paul is talking about the unity here of the body of Christ and the fact that we have all been given gifts to be used within the local church, but we're also connected to one another for that purpose. You know, when we see a slideshow of people serving together, it, it looks like they're having fun. It doesn't look like a drudgery. It doesn't look like a burden. That's what being connected to other believers is all about. So within the local church, we do that. But we identify also with the worldwide body of Christ through baptism. We're connected by the Spirit of God. In communion, the other ordinance that Jesus gave, we partake together, right? It's a shared experience. Now, we don't see that connection nowadays like we might have seen you know, in ancient times or first century when Jesus first instituted, they would actually pass a loaf of bread around and they would take a piece off of the same loaf. We all get our little individual loaves in here. But we partake together, right? It's a way of connecting with one another. In baptism, that same thing happens. We identify with other believers because of a shared experience. You're saying publicly, I'm one of them. I'm a follower of Jesus too. I identify with this body of believers. You know, in the United States, thank the Lord, so far we're able to freely worship, gather together like this. We can get baptized without really fear of persecution. But in other countries, that's not so. You know, if they go out into a public place, into a river or a stream or a lake, and get baptized publicly, they may be risking their freedom. They may be risking their own lives to do that. And yet, because of their desire to be obedient to Christ, many, many Christians around this world do that all the time. One more thing about what baptism is. Baptism is limited to believers. Baptism is limited to believers. Since baptism symbolizes conversion, right, and spiritual cleansing from sin, and it identifies us us with Jesus and with the church, it's only for those who have made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. A person should be able to give some personal testimony that they've trusted in Jesus for salvation. Which is why we believe here at this church, and many other churches agree, that there's no biblical basis, there's no biblical evidence for infant baptism. All biblical references to baptism are to adults who have confessed faith in Christ. Couple things about infant baptism and then we'll we'll move on. So we've already seen in the scriptures, and we can go to any scripture that speaks about baptism, that baptism always follows a confession of faith. Baptism always follows somebody saying, Yes, I trust, I believe, and then they're baptized. 
An infant cannot make a profession of faith. He or she has no understanding of the symbolism that we've already talked about here of baptism and is not of an age of reason where they can articulate their desire to be identified with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which is what baptism represents. Second, some people and some denominations even practice infant baptism because they see a connection to the Old Testament practice of circumcision. So they make this connection, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Old Covenant was circumcision, New Covenant is baptism. In Colossians 2, 11 and 12, it says, In Him, Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. So we see the connection here that some people may take a little bit further than I think is biblically accurate. Circumcision and baptism are similar in some ways. They're both outward signs of an inward change. But it's not the physical circumcision that God was looking for. He desires a spiritual circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. Notice how Paul writes, it's a circumcision made without hands. It's spiritual. And we are spiritually buried with Christ in baptism, and that through faith. So just as the physical act of circumcision didn't save anyone, the physical act of baptism doesn't either. Faith in Christ is necessary for salvation. An infant can't express faith in Christ. Listen, you may think that, okay, there's no scriptural basis for infant baptism. Uh, A lot of churches do it anyway. What harm could it do? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Okay, so this is kind of my opinion, but I I think it's, uh, it's reasonable. I think, first of all, because in and of itself it's unbiblical, we, we see no, uh, no uh, evidence of that scripturally, we wouldn't want to promote it as a practice in the church. But more importantly, I believe that it could give a false sense of security to someone who was baptized in a denomination where that act alone of baptism is the basis for a relationship with God. I think in that way it can be detrimental. I would hate to see someone, as an adult, come to the end of their life and think that God will receive them because they were baptized as a baby. I think that would be sad to give that false sense of security to someone. So in, in, in a small way, I think it could be de- detrimental. So you may ask, if I was baptized as an infant, should I get baptized as, a, as an adult? It's a good question, too. I was baptized as an infant. I don't remember it. I think my mother saved uh, my christening dress because we wore dresses. Um, I don't remember it. I never made a profession of faith as an infant. Um, that took me 
40 years before I finally did that. When I did that, I realized that I needed to be baptized. And I was baptized in, uh, in the Atlantic Ocean. Listen, there's no specific restriction in the Bible about being rebaptized. Okay? Um, we don't want to make a habit of it. But there's actually a record in the, in, the, in the book of Acts about someone being rebaptized. In Acts 19, verses 1 through 5, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Now remember, John's baptism is a little different. It's a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism for them to understand that there was a need for them to seek out the Savior. Into John's baptism, they said. So then Paul said, John indeed baptized baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. Remember, pointing to Jesus. That is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were re-baptized. They were baptized once under John, but not quite understanding what that meant. And now seeing that, that it pointed to Jesus Christ, boy, they jumped at the opportunity to be baptized in the Lord's name. These were followers of Christ. They were baptized into John's baptism. But remember, this is the beginning of the church. It was kind of just starting out. People were coming to John. They were getting baptized. They were hearing this gospel message. But it shouldn't be really any different for us 2,000 years later. They realized that John's ministry pointed to Christ. And in response to the gospel, they desired to be, I like this picture, fully immersed with other believers. So if that helps you understand that uh, if you were baptized in, as an infant, there's certainly, we, we have never turned away anyone who wanted to get baptized again as an adult, understanding what that means. So we pointed out what ba- baptism is. Let me just quickly point out what baptism isn't. Baptism is not the means to salvation. Some denominations teach that baptism is the means by which we enter into the family of God. Some also teach that there is no true salvation apart from baptism. Let me tell you, both of these ideas deny the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice for salvation. If we could, by ritual or by fulfilling the law, save ourselves why would Jesus have had to go to the cross? He wouldn't. Matter of fact, Jesus expresses that in Matthew 26. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He says, it says here in verse 39, He went a little farther. Jesus fell on His face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So this prayer that Jesus prayed 
Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other solution to the problem of sin, let that be. But there was no other way. There is no other way. Not by rite or ritual or sacrament or by obedience to the law, which we could never fulfill. There is no other way. Clearly, clearly, Jesus Christ is the only solution to the problem of sin. What baptism isn't, it is not the means by which we are cleansed from sin. Going into the, the water does not cleanse you from sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of com- confession and repentance. We say, Lord, we've messed up. I need your forgiveness. We're cleansed. It's the heart that needs cleansing, not the flesh. And that can only be accomplished through repentance and acceptance of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our hearts that cleanses us. It's not the water in the pool. It saves us. It saves us from God's punishment. An example in the Old Testament, very clear in Exodus 12. It says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. What an awesome sign of what Christ's death did for us. When we apply the finished work of Jesus to the doorposts of our heart, God's judgment passes over us. That's how it works. That's why John the Baptist referred to Jesus as what? As the Lamb of God, right? Who takes away the sin of the world. It goes right back to that Old Testament scene. Why is baptism important? Well, it's important because it's the evidence. It's really the evidence, one of them, of a relationship with God. It expresses to the Lord your love for Him, as well as your obedience to Him. And if you're a new believer, it gets your relationship off to a great start. It's saying right then and there, I not only believe in you, Lord, your sacrifice for my sins, but I desire to obey you, obey you. It tells Jesus and others that you received him as both Savior, yes, and, but also as Lord, as Lord of your life. Baptism is important because it encourages others in the local church. If you've never experienced the baptism here, I'd encourage you to stay today after service and watch because you'll be encouraged by it. Many times there are emotions of joy and of anticipation for someone who's being baptized and their desire to really follow Jesus. We rejoice with them in that. 
and to witness others make a public confession of faith in Jesus, a testimony of what, of what God's done in their life and a desire to now follow Him more closely, boy, that can really inspire others to do the same. Obedience kind of produces obedience, doesn't it? And baptism is, baptism is, is also important even to those outside of the faith. Outside of the faith. You know, many of you will go back to your family, your friends, your co-workers, etc., and tell them what happened. Some of you, if you've been able to plan in, in advance, might invite people that are not Christians to watch you get baptized. They may know you for a long time, and now they're starting to see that this relationship with God that you've been ta- talking about, that you've been telling them about, you're really taking seriously. When someone starts to live in obedience to Jesus, other people will notice. Other people will notice. And you can ha- start to have an influence on those around you for Christ. And certainly, baptism is important to you as the individual. It's kind of a line in the sand, so to speak. A point in, the, in your life where you kind of took that first tangible step of obedience to the Lord. And listen, like I said before, you'll never be sinless. And when you're tempted to go back to the world, you can look at this event, the baptism, as encouragement not to stray from the faith. Again, that's why we encourage you to invite family and friends over and, and watch you in that. But listen, it all begins, right, with one first step. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.